I spent an entire month listening to Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Spin It, the podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is my co-host, Connor. Say hello to the people, Connor. How you doing? I did a thing. What thing did you do? I know as co-host, one of the jobs you assigned me was getting all of the departments set up, and so I started a new department, the art department. Oh, that sounds fancy. What's the art department in charge of? We've been talking so much about the mixtaper and how he's like a C-list villain, and that got me thinking about like who his superhero archenemy would be, right? And I decided it would be Captain Spin. Captain Spin? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so then that got me thinking, what kind of like outfit would each of them have and so on and so forth. And so here in a minute, James, you should get a photo of what I mocked up. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what, what do you think of it? I think he might need to be demoted to the D list after that. It's not a C list drawing. Don't worry, because I reached out to the art department, actually, and they were able to take my drawing and turn it into this oh my gosh that's a million times better than what you did <laughs> yeah that's why i started the art department i know how to delegate okay i'm proud of the art department captain spin i like his colors got the mixtaper throwing flaming mixtapes not bad not bad at all so we've got a mascot <laughs> now yeah we'll make sure to put this on the socials yeah people will be able to see this well you've achieved your co-host duties for this week i'll give you a gold star I just really hope the Hey, yo, Connor, I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is one of the most important rap albums of all time. Of all time. And that's what we're talking about this week. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. I get the sense that you didn't understand what that was. That was Kanye's thing at the VMA Awards. <laughs> Do you remember? Taylor Swift, and I'm gonna let you finish. <gasps> oh, yes, when he interrupted Taylor Swift. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes, okay, I got gotcha. Yeah, I didn't want to remind you about that before I did it, because then it would have <laughs> spoiled the joke for you. But me not reminding you before I did it spoiled the joke, because you didn't get it. Would you like me to pretend to be Taylor Swift? I'm feeling 22. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a Taylor Swift song, right? It is, yeah. So a quick little bit about what this podcast is. Spin It's a podcast where I take an album that I know and love, and I present it to Connor, who's hearing things usually for the first time. And we'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, basically give you our spin on this record. Now, when I find new music to listen to, I try and listen to it for a month at a time each. I have a playlist on Spotify where I kind of bring new albums into my repertoire and listen to them on repeat for a month to just get a good sense of them and all the nuance that goes with that. And that's exactly what I just did with my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy. It comes off of the June 2021 playlist, so I'm fresh into this album. I've just listened to it on repeat for four or five weeks straight at this point, and I'm really excited to talk about it today. Like I mentioned in the last episode, we kind of wanted to swing wide in our scope of albums that we're covering. We started with Billy Joel, the 1977 piano-driven pop rock. We moved into Casey Musgraves, the 2018 pop country, and now we're taking it in a whole new direction with 2010 rap music. So a little bit of a content disclaimer on this one. We're going to try and keep this podcast pretty family-friendly and clean, but that doesn't mean I'd necessarily want to limit us to talking about music that is that way. So so while what we're going to do here will be pretty okay for you to listen to, if you decide to venture out and check out the album, be ready, be ready. There's some explicit language, some adult themes. I feel like some is an understatement. It depends on the song and where you go, but we're going to focus in on some of the more appropriate things to talk about because I know our podcast audience, a lot of you, you know, this might be out of the realm of what you usually listen to too. So maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll hate it. Maybe you won't even listen to this episode. No hard feelings if that's you. <laughs> And if you're here simply because we're doing rap and this is your first episode, I'm sorry. <laughs> rap music is not my kind of music, so this is an interesting one for me. I wouldn't say it's my kind of music, but I'm starting to dig more into it as time has gone on. I didn't grow up listening to rap. You know, I don't have a history with it. This is the only Kanye West album that I know. I will say that I was pleasantly surprised by the production quality on this. It was really well put together, even if the music isn't necessarily what I listen to. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that I really picked it. What occurred to me as I was thinking about this record is that we had Billy Joel, who was big on the lyrics and 
telling stories. We had Casey Musgraves, who was so good with melodies. And now we've got Kanye. And Kanye is a top-tier producer. And this album really shows off all of his production skills. Uh, Having not really listened to much Kanye, I don't really know if that's true or not. But it sounds true, so let's go with it. Let's talk about Kanye West, because he is quite a character. I did a lot of research on him for this, and boy, did I learn some things. Yeah. He got his musical start in 1996. He was 22, and he started out as a producer, actually, a full-time producer. All of his songwriting and production work early in his career featured some big-time artists, including Jay-Z, Eminem, Nas, Raekwon of the Wu-Tang Clan, Alicia Keys, Janet Jackson, and the list goes on and on and on. I recognize some of those names. Yeah, probably. He started out in the studio, behind the board, but production was never really his primary ambition. You know, he always wanted to be a rapper, so he started trying to get a record deal, and he initially had a lot of trouble with it, because he didn't have the right image that was popular at the time. But, eventually, he did break through the ice and got his start rapping with Rockefeller Records, where he was already a producer. His first solo work as a rapper was a little mixtape that he made. A mixtape, you say? Yeah, a (laughs) mixtape. It was called Get Well Soon in 2002, and it was inspired by a car accident that he was involved in. Oh. A crazy car accident. He had to have his jaw wired shut because his jaw was broken. So he wrote and recorded a song for this mixtape while his jaw was still wired shut. It's called Through the Wire, and he raps the entire thing while he can't move his jaw. That's crazy. That's a clever name. It's a clever name, and it's a really interesting song to check out because you can hear he's kind of got his teeth clenched the whole time. Talk like that the rest of the podcast, please. I'm not going to talk like that the rest of the podcast. What if I paid you $1? Oh, I don't know. You're speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, don't do that. So Kanye has done a lot in the time since then. He's won a lot of awards too, right? He has won a lot of awards. So flippin' many awards. He's earned 21 Grammys and 68 Grammy nominations, which is the second most for any rapper behind Jay-Z. 68. That's a ton of Grammy nominations. He is the seventh highest certified artist in the U.S. for digital singles. Seventh? Yeah, with 69 million. For a while, Kanye actually had the record for the most consecutive number one albums on the Billboard 200. He had nine in a row. But that record was broken on the 1st of February, 2020, when Eminem released his 10th studio album that went to number one. Hmm. And actually, he might reclaim the top again with his next album if it takes number one. Who knows? Yeah. He's had over 100 songs on the Billboard Hot 100. Essentially, what I'm getting at is he is a gilded man. He has won so many awards. I mean, dozens more that we didn't even include because the list is just too long. He was the first non-athlete to have a shoe deal with Nike. That's not an award, but it's kind of cool. That's a cool fact. Because the other thing that Kanye West is big into, aside from rap and producing, is he's big into fashion. He's kind of this fashion mogul in the industry. So Nike approached him and said, hey, let's make some shoes. I want Nike to approach us about making some shoes. Can we get approached by Heelys, though? I want to make some Heelys that are spin it. Oh, yes, because then they would spin. Yes, that's amazing. That's what we want. We want to be sponsored by Heelys. Heelys, if you're listening, hit us up. Sponsor us. Uh, spin, Spencer us? Okay, that's getting cut. No, no, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and the other trivia tidbit that I wrote down was what happened at the 2009 VMAs that we kind of already talked about. Taylor Swift had won the Best Video Award, and at the beginning of her acceptance speech, Kanye bust onto the stage and totally grabbed the mic from her, interrupted, and said, I'm gonna let you finish... He really stole the spotlight from her, and that caused him a lot of public ridicule. He kind of isolated after that, which is what led into the production of this album that came out the next year. Barack Obama called him a jerk for doing that. That's correct. He did. He even makes an allusion to that in one of the lyrics on this record. Yeah. So, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Like we mentioned before, bit of a content warning. Listen at your own risk. Listen at your own discretion. Yeah, listener discretion is advised. However, take a minute, go listen to it if you're so inclined, and then come back and listen to all we have to say. I'm sure this commentary will be woefully incomplete and kind of fall short for those of you that love the album and maybe for those of you that are just hearing it for the first time yourselves, but there's just so much content in here that we can't possibly hit it all in a reasonable length podcast. Yeah, and I only got one listen. That's right. Connor is only listening to this one time and this jam-packed full of stuff. I could not write fast enough. I believe that. This came out in 2010, like we mentioned. It's kind of progressive rap. It's like a rap opera. Like, I mean, some of those songs get very operatic. Yeah, it does feel like a rap opera. Yeah, like some sort of like rap odyssey of some sort. He actually made a video to go along with the album. It was called Runaway, named after the track right in the middle of the record. And he put several other songs in it. It's about 35 minutes. So that's kind of maybe why it feels like a rap opera. And he understood that as he was making it and released it like that. Hmm. 
It won the Best Rap Album at the 2012 Grammy Awards. It's number 17 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list. That's shocking. Shocking. I know it's high. And I think a lot of the reason it's ranked so high is because of its legacy. Even though it's only a decade old, I think it was a super transitional point for rap music. And a lot of albums that have come after it have taken from it and tried to emulate it. Yeah, I get that. In terms of how this album was put together and made, Kanye was given over $3 million to produce the album. It's one of the most expensive records ever made as well. Can you imagine if they just handed you $3 million and said, go make a record, go sing? I could do it. I, I mean, you find the right people for $3 million. Well, Kanye took full advantage of that $3 million. He recorded this entire album secluded away in Hawaii with tons of different artists and producers. He kind of isolated himself after the VMA incident that we talked about. He tried to stay out of the spotlight. So he pulled back, went to Hawaii, and he called up all of his friends like Nicki Minaj, Drake, Fergie, John Legend, The Dream, and he would have several studios booked at once for 24 hours straight, all day, every day, and he would just jump from one to the other. He would work on one until he ran out of ideas, and then he would say, okay, time to move to the next one, and he would like go across the hall and start working on a different song, which is a crazy method of production. He kind of just work on it in the same studio? Just switch gears? No, I mean, you've got to deal with a lot of different settings on your boards and, and your instruments will be all different. And a lot of different co-collaborators were working with him. I would imagine, you know, he would have some producers working on one song in one studio and he would jump in and join them while other producers are in other studios. Mm, gotcha. And to keep himself productive, or maybe just because he was going crazy trying to record this thing, he decided to take power naps in the studio instead of sleeping. And he hired private chefs. He, like, went all out to make this album recording experience basically like a rap boot camp. Hmm, I guess with $3 million, and you gotta spend it on something. I know, might as well rent private chefs and an entire recording studio in Honolulu forever. Mm-hmm. Kanye was really sensitive about nothing getting out, you know? And so to prevent leaks, he had a no-phone policy. Ooh. Something did eventually leak. One of these songs did get out, and he flipped out. He said, that's it. I'm done with this boot camp style thing. He said, the next time we work, I'm working in hotel rooms. And that's just what he did. Because those are more secure. The next album he released after that was a collab with Jay-Z, and he worked out of hotel rooms instead the entire time. So he made good on his word. Was it a collab just with Jay-Z? I feel like the lack of leaks has to do with the lack of people then but all right i think that's a good point (laughs) there are dozens of people on this record yeah you're right you know to each their own so those of you who have been listening to the show for any amount of time you know what time it is it's time for everybody's favorite trivia game fact or spin spin spin. oh you're the one doing the sound effects this time (laughs) well i had to make up for the other times where you did it Ah. i wanted to come back and equal the hype all right uh well uh, I need you to do better than you did last week. The mixtaper wouldn't stop talking about how he bested you. And so I really need you to pull it together for this. Good grief. I'm going to do my best. I'll be honest. It's going to be hard for me to do any worse than I did last week. Well, you got one last week, didn't you? I did get one. The only way I could do worse is if I fail every <laughs> single time. <laughs> well, don't do that. Take it away, alter ego. Hey, it's me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I always, I always feel the need to oh, do that. In- if you don't know, this this is the mixtaper. <laughs> All right, uh, let's just jump into the facts, shall we? Let's just get in there. Give me a potentially true fact, and I will determine whether you are telling me the truth or just making things up. Well, my first potentially true fact for you is that Kanye once tried to donate a statue of himself. If there's one person in the world that I can believe would donate a statue of himself, it would be Kanye West. Who did he want to donate the statue to? To a college. Oh, this makes a lot of sense too, because a lot of Kanye's earlier albums were themed around college. You Mm -hmm. know, college dropout. That was a motif early on in his career. Which college did he want to donate himself to? He received an honorary degree from the School of Art Institute of Chicago in his hometown area. And when he received that honorary degree, he offered to donate a statue of himself to be put in the campus courtyard. Okay, and I presume the school declined. The school did indeed decline. (laughs) Did they give a reason? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I'm sure they did. I doubt they just said no to Kanye West and didn't give a reason, but... I doubt he would have let them say no and not give a reason. Yeah. Did he, like, have a plan for this statue, what it was going to look like? Yes. Tell me about what the statue was meant to be. It was going to be a statue of himself with angel wings. It sounds about right. I think that's a ridiculous offer to make a college. However, I think Kanye would. So I'm going to say true again. It makes me a little nervous, but I'm going with true. 
Yeah, you should be nervous. It was spun again. That's another fake fact. Oh, crap. <laughs> I'm so bad. <laughs> he did get his honorary degree from that school, but as far as I'm aware, he did not offer them a statue of himself with angel wings. <laughs> I'm feeling myself slipping already. I might do worse than the last episode. Next up is that he bought an 18th century fish tank. What? <laughs> I mean, that's just my immediate reaction. 18th century. Exactly when was this fish tank made? It's actually an 18th century themed fish tank, I should clarify. I don't know if it was made in the 18th century. Okay, I was going to say, why do you want to keep your fish in like 300 year old glass? I don't know. What's the point? <laughs> uh, does Kanye have fish? Yeah, he bought 30 koi fish to put in it. 30 koi fish? Why doesn't he have like a koi pond for koi fish? He wanted them in an 18th century themed fish tank. What does it look like? What makes it so 18th century themed? Uh, none of the articles I found described the actual fish tank, but inside the fish tank was a cherub-shaped fountain made of gold that rested on a marble base. That's very nice. I bet the fish really enjoyed that, getting a good look at that and swimming around it. (laughs) He bought it with his first paycheck after the success of his album, The College Dropout. The problem with that is his first paycheck after his college dropout record. I mean, surely... Surely he had higher priority dream things to buy than a fish tank. He talks in the song right on the first track about having a dream car. The Murcielago, he wants this car. I don't know why he would opt for fancy bowl over anything else. Anything else. (laughs) I love your hesitation here. (laughs) I don't even know which way to lean on this one. I'm going to have to pick one. And honestly, it is totally 50-50 for me. (laughs) This one's fake. It's not true. This one's fake? Yes. You going with false? I'm going with false. Darn it. All right. Well, you got it wrong again. This one is a fact. No. <laughs> no. Yep. Are you kidding me. This is what he bought with his first paycheck to reward himself. This man is unbelievable. <laughs> Listen, the problem with Kanye West is he's such an outrageous personality that you could say almost anything about him and it might be true. There's very little that you could say that I wouldn't believe. You mean like this next one? Yeah, sure. What's the next one? When I'm about to tell you that... Kanye bought himself and Jay-Z fax machines. Kanye bought himself and Jay-Z fax machines? When? (laughs) What year did he buy fax machines? In 2012. Not unreasonable. Why does he need to fax Jay-Z so much? Kanye thought it would be fun for them to send each other funny messages. Why couldn't they just text or email or do something normal? There really wasn't a lot of information to go with this fact. I stumbled across this in an interview and... There wasn't much to say about it other than that they would send each other faxes every once in a while. Kanye said he'd get excited when he'd wake up in the morning and see a piece of paper on the fax machine. Wait, how often did they fax? Like, did you do you know how much they sent back and forth or was it just an occasional thing? It seemed like they sent messages quite often. They both seemed to enjoy them. That's cute. They're like uh, just best two, two bros, two dudes with fax machines. Yeah, but do they really have fax machines? This is... This is false. They're going with false. Yes. These guys are like multi-millionaires. Why would they buy cheap little fax machines and like... Hold on, hang on. First, I didn't say they were cheap. Okay. Were they expensive fax machines? Oh, I have no idea. Right. <laughs> okay. At the end of the day, I just don't see two of the world's most successful rappers frequently communicating via fax in 2012. I am locking in false. All right. Good luck on the next one because this one is... Spun. This one is fun. Yes. You're at least got one, so you've tied last episode. I got the one that I needed to tie last week. Oh, that was stressing me out. One left for redemption, Ken. You do better than last week. I don't know. I I gotta see if I can. Kanye has owned two different restaurant chains and a travel agency. Okay, there seems to be a lot of information I can learn here. What restaurant chains did he own? He had ten fat burger restaurants that he distributed amongst his hometown area of Chicago. Okay. And he bought the rights to open 10 Burger Kings in Europe. Hmm. That's an interesting assortment of restaurants. The Burger King ones were a wedding present for Kim. Really? That's the wedding present? Get you a man who opens 10 European Burger Kings for you. You (laughs) wait for him. Okay, travel agency. Let's talk about travel agency for a little bit. It was one called West Brands LLC Travel Agency. Okay, I thought you were going to say it was called Travel Yay Agency, and that would have been funny. That would have been funny. Did he get a lot of business with the travel agency? Oh, I have no idea how successful it was. I think it's just now launching. I think it's new. As of like April. 
And for the restaurants, the same deal. Did they stay open? Does he still own 10 Burger Kings? Oh, no. Uh, I think as of 2015, only two of the Fat Burgers were still in operation. And I think even they have shut down now. And none of the Burger Kings ever actually got built. What? None of them got built? (laughs) He bought the rights to build them in Europe and then they never built them. That's one way to own 10 Burger Kings, I guess. They probably did just as much business as they would if he did build them. So (laughs) The travel agency... Well, hang on. Hang on now, because I've now found another website that names it something different. So I don't want to call it the wrong travel agency. Wait, I'm sorry. Say that one more time. If you're telling me a spun right now, you're doing a really, really good job. Oh, 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 Listen, it's all part of the game. I know. You're just playing <laughs> head games at this point. I'm going with True, and let me tell you my rationale. It's because you told me that you were looking at other websites and found different names of the travel agency. All right. I figured you were just going to cut that part. No, I think I'm going to keep it in. You should definitely cut that part. <laughs> Please. I don't want to. <laughs> Well, this fact is false, so get f- What? <laughs> oh. No, uh, this fact is true. You got it. You got, uh, you got two yes. of them. Interesting. You learn something new every day when the mixtaper is around. I think I got you quite a bit there. Yeah, well, you didn't shut me out yet. The day that you shut me out is the day that I officially lose. I'll be back next time with more lies and truths. Yeah. Thank you, mixtaper. It's always a pleasure. Should we talk about album art? I think we should talk about album art because it's a doozy. It's interesting. To tell you the story behind the album art, all the art for My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy was created by a painter named George Kondo. He created five separate paintings that each kind of serve as an alternate cover for this record. And there are some more normal ones and some more bizarre ones. The primary cover of this record, the one that you're going to see the most often, is Kanye embracing a sphinx-type creature. No one really knows what it is. In Kondo's own words, she's kind of a fragment between a sphinx and a phoenix, a hunting ghost and a harpy. So she's a creature. They're both naked on a bed, and it's just a weird picture to look at. (laughs) On most versions of the album that you're going to find on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you can stream it, that picture is going to be censored. So you're just going to see a bunch of squares and say, oh yeah, maybe that's what the picture is. Yes, it is. Be grateful those squares are there because it's a little bizarre. Yes, it is. I thought it was interesting that, I, I like. I mean, he knew that was going to get censored, but he went with it anyways. Uh-huh. He commissioned it with the intent to have it get banned because you know what? I think he had a similar mindset. We talked about Billy Joel getting his record censored by the church and, you know, people got radio bands put on it and everyone started to listen to it. I think Kanye had the same mentality here. If I put out this album with this controversial cover art, people will want to buy it. Which of the four alternate versions is your favorite? Oh, of the alternate versions, I should describe those to you real quick. There's a severed head, a king's head. It's got a crown on it, and there's a sword stabbed all the way through it. And obviously, it's the image of Kanye. Kanye's the king that's been kind of decapitated here. And that one would be my favorite. Same. But other alternate covers included a mangled version of his face. It's kind of segmented in in a weird, funky way. And then there's a ballerina that served more of the appropriate alternate cover role and was kind of the featured piece behind runaway that song because that music video that he put out the one that i mentioned it features ballerinas yeah the the head the the king head one was also my favorite yeah it's shocking to look at but i think at least mostly talking about the one with the sword through the head it feels very appropriate for the album's themes you know the beautiful dark twisted fantasy this man's the king he's at the top of his game and yet he's still worried about being overthrown and his power so to speak is taken from him in this gruesome way yeah yeah that fits yeah when kanye first saw the art for this album he said i'm shocked but i like it and i gotta go with my gut feeling and that's i think kanye's approach to a lot of this record (laughs) is he would hear something or see something and say, I like this, what is this? And then take it and put it onto his record. Let's just do this. (laughs) Yeah, he would incorporate it that way, which creates this really interesting, super collaborative, almost album by committee, is what My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is. So let's start with the very first track, Dark Fantasy. Yeah, this is an interesting one to start with. Uh, I started it up and I had to do a double take and make sure I didn't accidentally somehow end up on a Nicki Minaj album. (laughs) I was like, wait, this is a <laughs> no, yeah, Nicki Minaj does the opening monologue for this song, and it's a twisted, pun very much intended, it's a twisted version of a Roald Dahl retelling of Cinderella. And you know Roald Dahl. He's the guy behind Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda, the BFG. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Well, he did a version of Cinderella that's like a dark fairy tale. At the end of the story, instead of the normal happily ever after, Cinderella realizes that the prince that she marries is a tyrant and he murders the stepsisters. It's pretty gruesome. But this poem is a play on that. I did not know that. Yeah, the monologue that she delivers and that Roald Dahl uses in his book basically says, Hey kids, this is a story that you think you're familiar with, but listen up because you don't know the way that things really are. Let me tell it to you right now. So using this storybook opening to the album is Kanye's way of saying, Take a look into my life. It's not the fairy tale life that you imagine it to be from the outside. It's a lot darker than that, which I think makes it the perfect way to open a record like this that honestly feels less like a piece made for his audience and his fans and way more like a character study of Kanye as a person after that we get into the chorus and that was my favorite part of the song is I really like the chorus can we get much higher so high if the whole song had been themed like that it, it would have been an amazing song I didn't care for the verses too much I'll agree the hook on the chorus is super catchy so I totally understand why that's your favorite part and then he busts into the verse the music behind that alternates between two notes a lot it almost feels a little bit like a faster piano version of Jaws you know what I mean Okay, yeah. It mimics this feeling of tension or conflict. It's not, like, comfortable to listen to. I think that's done pretty intentionally. Yeah, again, it was a lot to take in on the first listen. There's definitely a lot to absorb. I like the way that he structures the lyrics of this song because the first verse, he paints a picture of his fantasy. He talks about his dreams as a kid to make it big and buy his dream car. It's not dark or twisted in the slightest in the first verse. And as the song goes on, that starts to change. Huh. I, I'm looking at the lyrics now. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. All right, good on you, Kanye. That was a good one. One of my favorite lines in this first verse that I think is important for the rest of the album, he goes, me found bravery in my bravado. And finding bravery in my bravado, that's genius. Kanye is the essence of bravado. And to say that he finds bravery in bravado is kind of him letting the walls come down for a minute and saying, this is all a front. This is where my confidence comes from. But it's the image that I'm putting out to the world. Uh, me drowned sorrow in that Diablo was also one of my favorite lines, simply because I imagined him just at top. Taco Bell just like downing Diablo sauce. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, come on. Taco Bell's like the ultimate, like, you're feeling down in the dumps and you just want to stuff your face with something. You go get yourself like a bunch of cheesy gordita crunches or whatever. Yeah, you drown your sorrow in Taco Bell. Yeah. He does a lot of clever wordplay with Drowning Sorrow and Diablo between the liquor and Diablo, obviously, Spanish for devil. And it's not the last time that that kind of imagery gets used. Again, this is a long song. It's a long song. There are like four different verses and he does something different with each one of them so each one is an important building block the second verse is where everything starts to unravel and he starts to poke holes in this fantasy he brings up celine dion yeah he does and i don't know if you caught the little kings of leon pun he puts in there yes i did i thought i have that written down i was like we've gone like full circle four episodes full <laughs> circle that's it all the way around but he talks about his inner demons and he alludes to drowning his sorrows in diablo from the first verse again he says the plan was to drink until the pain over but what's worse the pain or the hangover kind of wondering whether he's actually making anything better yeah also i just want to point out the weak rhymes here i say as a non-rap enthusiast but he rhymed over with hangover I mean, well i think the the real rhyme is supposed to be pain and hang. <laughs> it's the slant rhyme there. Ah, all right. I mean, here he's doing it again. And he says, it wouldn't spare us and the fires did declare us. He's just rhyming the same words over and over. It's like, come on. No, the rhyme isn't us. The rhyme is spare and declare. Nah, no, 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 no. I want my last words to rhyme. I don't care about the middle words. You're all about end rhymes. The internal rhymes don't matter. Okay. Like Eris and Paris? That's a good one. I like that one. That's another double entendre. You know, Eris, Paris Hilton. <laughs> I see. I understand. Yes, he's talking about a lot. The thing that's cool about a lot of these lyrics is they're almost double and triple entendres. Everything has more than one meaning. And again, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the amount of times he repeats, oh, 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 can we get much higher? You know how that's a pet peeve of mine. I enjoyed the song. I honestly, like I said, I love that part. I love the music to that. But it's just, I can only hear oh, oh, oh so many times before I go insane. Especially at the end. There's a couple times I think he doubles up. It gets to be a lot. I think I said a lot of negative things about that song, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I do think it's a great gateway into the album. It's a lot to digest all at once, but it's done pretty well. Oh yeah, it definitely sets you up for what's about to come. What do you think of Gorgeous? 
Gorgeous is, is an interesting song because that guitar riff catches your ear right away. And actually, it's a sample of a cover of a 1968 Turtles song. It's one of many, many samples on this record. Over half of all of Kanye's songs sample content and feature artists from other areas. They're very big on collabs. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons this album stands out. It's Kanye's way of taking all the other music that he listens to and admires. He hears something and he likes it, and he says, where can I put that on my album? He takes pieces from all these other things and combines them in ways that nobody else was even thinking of. Yeah. I think this album's biggest strength is just in the way that it's cobbled together from all these pieces. This song had, I think, one of my favorite beats to it. Okay, interesting. It's a slower groove. Yeah, it is. I just really like the bass to it. I cranked this one up. Yeah, it's nice. The song starts off with a feature. Kid Cudi sings the chorus on this one, and he describes this fear of slipping from fame. Yeah, can we talk about how clever it was to put the song after Dark Fantasy? Because again, in Dark Fantasy, he spends the entire chorus singing, can we get much higher? And then this one's about live this down, down, down. Like he uses down a lot in this song. Yeah. Right after just talking about how you can't get any higher. Once you've reached the peak, there's nowhere to go but down. That was that was when I caught. It's a great way to lead in this song too, with that chorus right at the beginning. The line "the cop looked like Alec Baldwin" really made me laugh. Yeah, he says got <laughs> caught with thirty rocks. The cop looked like Alec Baldwin. You know, thirty rock is Alec Baldwin's show. More little wordplay. He also throws in some Greek mythology references in this one, and I like Greek mythology. So yeah, he does. Aside from the roll doll intro in the first song, the second song is where he really starts to build this fairy tale story idea. We don't need to talk about the double entendre. But he talks about a happy ending and a new beginning, which is, again, fairy tale and fantasy imagery. I don't know how I missed the line, choke a South Park writer with a fish stick. That's funny. (laughs) Yes. I don't know if you're familiar, but the writers of South Park did an episode where they just dragged Kanye West through the mud by saying he ate a lot of fish sticks. I did not know that. That's hilarious. It is hilarious. Again, content. If you decide to go watch, watch at your own discretion. But they make fun of Kanye West, and I'm sure it made him very mad. So he fires back at them with this and says, you know, choke him with a a fish stick. (laughs) No, this is another song where he structures the verses in a very intentional way. You know, the first verse talks about his experiences as a black American, and it's a heck of a perspective for a decade-old record. And then in the second verse, he's established this need for hip-hop music, for rap, and he starts to get more personal with it. He describes it as like a road to redemption for himself, as his career path. He talks about how the way he presents himself is so heavily reliant on public opinion, how he tries to make himself something that the public wants to consume, but not in a way that sacrifices his own individual It kind of relates back to The Stranger, you know, with all the different masks you wear. Yeah, and he reiterates it in the chorus, but I can feel it slowly slipping away from me. This sense of self, this fame, this purpose that he's kind of established. Verse 3 has a good line I like. There's a line in the third verse that people kind of regard as one of Kanye's best ever. He says, I was looking at my resume, feeling real fresh today. They rewrite history. I don't believe in yesterday. And what's a black beetle anyway? A... Uh, flipping roach. I guess that's why they got me sitting in coach. It's a Beatles reference. Great reference. He talks about all his accomplishments and he makes a Beatles reference. He compares himself to the Beatles who are, you know, often said to be one of the best bands ever. Yeah, very iconic. And Kanye is often said to be one of the best rappers ever. And he talks about I don't believe in yesterday, which is a total antithesis to Paul McCartney's I believe in yesterday. He says, what's a black beetle anyway, a roach? He's kind of insinuating that because he's black, his accomplishments when compared to the Beatles, they'll inherently be perceived as less. It's quite a line. And then he says, tell him hug and kiss my uh, butt. He doesn't say butt. <laughs> I like the X and O though. The X and O was a great touch. And he says, hug and kiss it, X and O, and kiss the ring while they're at it, which is just a moment where he says, I don't give a crap what you think. You can acknowledge my greatness or you can be run over by it. Yeah. The next song, track three, is called Power. Power. And it's one of Kanye's probably more famous songs. When Power started, I actually recognized it. Going into the record for the first time, I didn't think I had heard any Kanye songs. Me neither. And Power clicked. And I was like, I've heard this in arenas and on TV. It's popular. That's exactly where I've heard it. Mm-hmm. I played soccer in high school and it would sometimes be on the warm-up track list. I had no idea that's what the song was until I started playing. Yeah. Oh, huh. Now, to be fair, the part that you recognize probably was sampled because this song uses three really prominent samples. The part that you immediately recognize is the hand claps and the haze, right? Yeah. 
That stuff is sampled from a band called Continent Number no. 6 from a song called Afro America. Oh. I think Kanye has taken that and put it right at the forefront of our minds. Like, he's made that his own. When everyone hears that, I'm betting very few people think, oh, that's Continent Number no. 6. Everyone goes, oh, Kanye. It also samples drums from a band called Cold Grits, and it's probably second most prominent sample is by King Crimson, a song called 21st Century Schizoid Man, and that's what he uses to end every chorus. Oh, that tracks. Yeah. Kanye says he put 5,000 man hours into this song. Maybe not him personally, but his team of people. I was about to say, I doubt that was all him, but yeah. Actually, he says that's about the amount of time that they put into every song on this record, which is astounding if it's true. It's very easy to rack up man hours, though, when you have a giant staff. Hire 5,000 men, you could have 5,000 man hours in one hour. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. You got a good point. I like how he gets right to the point here. Straight up, right at the beginning, he tells us what the song's all about. I do it better than anybody you ever seen do it. The song that he samples, that 21st Century Schizoid Man, it's a pretty raw Vietnam War song. Is it? I don't think I'm familiar. I wasn't either, but I looked it up, of course, for this. And the lyrics are about a man that is, quote, at paranoia's poison door, and nothing he's got he really needs. And if that doesn't describe Kanye, nothing does. The whole first part of this album was setting up that paranoia, that fear of a fall from grace, and that opulence. I like how self-aware he gets sometimes in this song. He says, I embody every character of the egotistic, and he knows he's so gifted. It's cocky, but it's self-aware. Yeah, he goes from recognizing that he's a bit egotistical to then being like, look at my diamond-encrusted piece. Yeah. (laughs) He swings very wildly. So the diamond-encrusted piece, I've heard some different speculation on what this is talking about, whether it's jewelry or a gun. I think it's a gun, honestly. Really? Yes. I assumed it was his Jesus medallion. Well, yeah, I know he does wear the Jesus medallion. One of the few things I know about Kanye. I don't know. I kind of like to think of it as a gun because I like the twist that that puts on the song. You know, in the first verse, he talks about, I'm the greatest. No one man should have all this power to be as good as I am. And then he has this gun. And I think it takes a twist towards this is too much power for one person to have this diamond encrusted piece. Because later on in the song, uh, there's a bit of suicide ideation. And I think this is kind of an indication of the start of that. And no one man should have all this power kind of takes a darker turn in my head that's kind of how i pictured it it could go either way i think that ambiguity serves the song well i don't think we need to know and then you know how i mentioned that obama called him like a jerk or whatever for interrupting taylor swift he throws shade back at obama then in in this uh in this next verse it's just interesting when and how he decides to roast people here he drops a lot of really quick little like diss bombs yeah i feel like he made i feel like when he went into seclusion after the taylor swift thing he just made a list of names of people who made fun of him for it or said things about it and he's like all you were going on the next album that's it. Yeah, I'm writing a I'm writing a line about each of you. Well, he ends it, like I mentioned before, with this darker outro. People say, how's Ye doing? He says, I'm surviving. I was drinking earlier. Now I'm driving. It's kind of the pressure and the bad decisions that are starting to get to him. And then the end goes, this will be a beautiful death jumping out the window, kind of indicating that part of his dark fantasy is to go out at the top of his game. When you got nowhere to go but down. Yeah, that's crazy. It's dark and it's twisted. I think it's one of the darkest moments on this album. Yeah, it probably is. I didn't even realize. Yeah. The next thing we get is a little instrumental interlude here. My favorite part of the album. Your favorite part of the (laughs) album was the instrumental interlude, huh? Yep. I like instrumental sections, and this one was phenomenal. It is. It's really nice. It's very scaled back. This song is just a piano and a cello playing the melody of the next track, All of the Lights. I'll say it right now because there's not really any competition. This is my favorite song on the album. It was definitely the most catchy. Kanye says that he worked for two years on this song, and it's got 14 different artists on it. Rihanna is the primary one who gets to sing the hook. I like Rihanna. Yeah, me too. I love the way that this one starts with that kind of almost a brass horn sound right off the bat. Oh, I love it. I love the brass horn. It comes in Mm. so big and so in your face right away. I I think if we're not counting the interlude, it's my favorite song on the album as well. The only thing that it would compete with is the interlude, which is just the same melody. Slow it down. (laughs) Which is just it, but different. Right. This song is all about revealing hidden truths. It's kind of, again, another parallel story about Kanye's own life in the limelight. And it's told through this metaphor of a broken family. It's meant to walk side by side with Kanye's own perceived fall from grace. Another reason I think this song is one of my favorites, Elton John features on this, so that was fun. 
Oh, I was going <laughs> to tell you that and see if you recognized his voice. Yeah. Oh, I knew it. Oh, no, I recognized it. <laughs> uh-huh. Elton John comes in at the end, and he is the one that sings the part, I tried to tell you, but all I could say was, oh. And Elton John actually plays the piano throughout on this one. I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah, it's, he brings his own little flavor to it. Maybe that's why this one was your favorite. You were kind of predestined to like it. Yeah. Kanye's first part of the song talks about the then recent death of Michael Jackson, yep. who he actually loved so much that he dedicated this entire album to him. Did he really? Yeah. Huh. I didn't realize he was such a big Michael Jackson fan. Yeah. This song starts with a story of domestic violence. The speaker does his time in jail and he's coming home excited to see his woman and he finds out that she's taken another lover. Yeah. The metaphorical lights have come up and in a roundabout way, Kanye kind of writes this to parallel his career. He really had his public screw up and kind of gets shunned from public life for a minute. Some of that was self-imposed, but people were definitely hating on Kanye for a while. And when he comes back again, well, other people have popped up and kind of filled the vacuum that he left left behind him when he pulled away for a bit. He describes all of these different lights, the cop lights, flashlights, spotlights. It's a nice metaphor. And it's not the only song that he refers to this in. It's kind of a motif that persists through the rest of the record. Verse 2 is a very rare glimpse of humility, right? The speaker begs for a second chance, knowing that he's done wrong and he can improve. It feels remarkably genuine, like he's dropped that bravery behind the bravado that he talked about in Dark Fantasy, even if it's only for a quick second. Yeah, but even that, I feel like, is almost still got that, like, self-centered attitude to it, right? He's talking about how he made a mistake and that he spent all of his money and the court sucked him dry. You know, it's like him trying to play the pity party so that the person speaking can see their daughter, you know? It's it's more humbled, but even that's still kind of a self-centered approach to it. Mm Mm-hmm. The least self-centered line in the whole thing is, does she need her daddy? He cares about his daughter, yeah. Yeah, that's really the least self-centered line in the verse. The rest of it still is more about his position on things. Yeah. I think another feature of All of the Lights that makes it a really cool song is that it was one of only two songs on the record that features no sampled content. Oh. Yeah, the other song on the record that has no samples is track six, Monster. Oh. Both in a row, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. This song, I thought I would have more to say when I started listening to it to break it down critically. And what I came up with was it's just more of an ego song, honestly. I don't think it does a whole lot for any of the album's themes, necessarily. That's not to say it's a bad song. It's still catchy and good, and I think in my top three or four on this record. Really? I didn't think it was that catchy. Really? To each his own. That Nowhere near as catchy as the last one. No, you're right. It's very far overshadowed by that. It's just, it's not got a lot of emotional weight. Uh, he uses the word concert a lot in the chorus. <laughs> like, like half the chorus is saying he needs to see their hands at the concert. It's like, all right, I get it. We get it, we know. <laughs> yeah. This is one where I really noticed the rhythm of the chords behind this. It almost feels like a sequence you'd hear in a Halloween movie. Well, it makes sense if it's called Monster. I know. And the lyrics repeatedly refer to all kinds of different monsters he starts out talking about bloodsuckers and vampires and the best living or dead hands down you know zombies and mummies and pharaohs one of the really cool lines i just wanted to point out is he goes i'm living in the future so my present is my past my presence is a present yeah it's clever and in verse three, he really just like does away with the subtlety of naming the monsters and just lists them. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Jay Z comes out swinging and he lists every monster in the book: Bigfoot, Godzilla, Nessie, <laughs> goblins, ghouls. He says, "What do all the monsters have in common? They know who I am." Kind of a ridiculous line, but it fits the the song. Yeah. So <laughs> it's all subtlety went out the window when Jay Z came in. And then Nicki Minaj comes back. And takes the next verse after that. Honestly, I think she was kind of a highlight of this song, which initially surprised me because I'm not too familiar with Nicki Minaj, Mm -hmm. I will be honest. But this actually was a really good section of the song. I really like that they bring Willy Wonka. Again, you told me earlier that about the reference to the guy... Roll doll, yeah. Yeah, and then here they're referencing Willy Wonka specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but it's Nicki Minaj both times. Maybe she really likes Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, overall, I don't know. This song just kind of... Uh, there was a couple songs on this album that I was listening to, and the next thing you know, I was listening to the next song, and I don't really know what happened, like where the song transitioned. I just like, next thing you know, I was in the next song, and I was like, wait, when did this happen? Yeah, that happened to me <laughs> a lot on the back half of this album. I think a lot of the songs are longer and the sections kind of 
ebb and flow differently than they do on the first half. I agree. And the last song I think of that first half is So Appalled. I think So Appalled is a good place to kind of shift your focus from front half to back half of the record. Yeah. And it's pretty much this song of opulence, indulgence, and excess to what's literally like an appalling degree. My favorite part about this is the sound that plays in the back. That little like that instrument is so good. And it makes the entire song for me. Yeah, I like that instrument. Again, the song itself is kind of whatever, but I like the instrumentation. I think the inclusion of that is a make or break item for this song more than any other instrument on any other song. Like, take that away and this song really... Yeah, this song really falls apart yeah I, I think my least favorite part of the song is the amount of times he says effing ridiculous yeah it's a lot <laughs> I also you talk about Kanye messing with the ends of lines to come up with cheap rhymes my absolute least favorite he says people are going through real crap they're out of work that's why another dance track's gotta hurt that's why I'd rather spit something that got a perp <laughs> he has the perp line. Yep. Yeah, he says perp as an abbreviation for purpose. I get it. You want to rhyme and that line has a good meaning to it. You know, you want your music to be meaningful and that's what he's trying to make himself. But perp, come on. <laughs> he could have just added an extra syllable into the previous one and gone with like hurt us and then purpose. You know what I mean? He could have made it work with the full word. Yeah, listen, maybe you should come on for Kanye's next album and collab with him. Yeah, Kanye, I'd like to be I'd like to be your 15th collaborator on All the Lights. <laughs> Again, what you're talking about the the kind of like fairy tale thing. He references Mother Goose in this one. Yeah, he does. He says the ladies are coming in a baker's dozen, so that's fun. Yeah. I don't know what the significance to it being a baker's dozen is. Well, it means there's... Oh, oh, I just put it together. No, I just put it together. It's because baker's dozen is one of the Mother Goose nursery rhymes. Dirt to dirt. That's why. I've got it. <laughs> Look at you. Learn things in the middle of the podcast. Let's talk about the next track, Devil in a New Dress. Like I mentioned, All of the Lights and Monster were the tracks that didn't sample any other music. Devil in a New Dress is the only song that Kanye did not produce himself. Oh, really? Who produced this one? This one was produced by Bink and Mike Dean. I like Bink. <laughs> I don't have a proper way to respond to that. I guess just gonna move on. This one is a love song of sorts, but really it kind of feels more like a lust song. I don't know if you got that vibe. I'm going to be honest. I'm looking at my notes for this song and I don't remember it. You don't remember it? <laughs> I listened to this last night and I don't remember any of this. I'm looking at my notes. Wow. I could not tell you how this song went. It's one of the ones that's easier to forget on one listen, I think. Oh, it, I do have written down, again, another one of my favorite rhymes that he does is that he does towards the end of the song. He does, right in Melbourne, whole click appetites had tapeworms. He, like, rhymes Melbourne with tapeworm, and I love it. Crazy. That's, uh, it's, he finds a way, you know, he finds a way to make it work. He has his own inner gold bloom. He found a way. Yay, finds a way. <laughs> I hate that there was a way to make that joke relevant again, because it was bad the first time. Yeah. Darn it. Darn it. And now I have to keep it in, because now it's a callback. Can't just cut it from the podcast. Yep, that's what I do to you. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it feels like more of a lust song than a love song. He talks about, you know, the way you look should be a sin. You're my sensation. It's this religious imagery of being tempted by someone that's devilishly appealing. Well, and he says that they're not married, but he needs some consummation, right? That's a line. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have that one written down. Yeah, he, verse 1 describes this woman who's lost her religion, and Kanye explains how everybody's got their moments of weakness. Everybody's prone to making some bad decisions. So he, like, he like succeeds where Billy Joel failed. Yeah, <laughs> Billy Joel, only the good die young. Virginia was waiting, and he wanted her to not wait. Kanye found himself a girl who's not waiting. The devil in a new dress. Yeah. Verse two is where he actually encounters her. They go to the classic restaurant that rich rappers always take their hookups to. The Jamaican place, <laughs> which is a, an interesting choice. You ever had Jamaican food? I have not. <laughs> I haven't. I've wanted to try Jamaican food for a long time, but I haven't yet. But he goes to this Jamaican place with the girl and he says, I ordered the jerk. She said, you are what you eat. That's funny. Oh, it's a great line. That's a great one. That's a good one, Kanye. I know it's so good. Okay, I'll give one attaboy for that one. One attaboy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's yours. Don't spend it all in one place. Next up is Runaway. 
Runaway is pretty much the album's centerpiece. It's way more laid back and reserved than a lot of the other songs. It's kind of been described as Kanye's apology for the way that he is, while still maintaining an unwillingness to change that about himself. It starts with the soft piano. Oh, it's that one. Yes. Oh, it's that. Okay, yeah, the piano. Yeah. I remember uh, really hating how long he does the first piano note. It's, I think, like 15 measures, yeah. Yeah, like it's like a few measures too much for that. But then when the actual music kicks in and the piano's still going in the background, the piano does such a phenomenal job of just changing the key of what's being like played to the point that like gives a different inflection on the part that's playing. You know, like every time the piano shifts, the song takes on like a slightly different tone. And I really enjoyed that. That that was a high point for me. Yeah. That piano has been described as the song's heartbeat, and I think it really shows in that way that you just described. It is, yeah. The pre-chorus is great. He says, I always find something wrong. I'm so gifted at finding what I don't like the most, so I think it's time for us to have a toast. It's all about how Kanye is this perfectionist who's never satisfied. Let's have a toast for the, yeah, okay, okay, I know what song we're yeah, on. Yeah, for the scumbags. Yep. Yeah. And it's kind of him acknowledging that he is a scumbag, but cheers to us, and you should have nothing to do with me because I know my nature. I know the response that people have to me and my behavior, but I'm not going to change it, so just run away. Uh-huh. He talks about his struggles in the first verse with taking responsibility for his actions. He says, I just blame everything on you. At least you know that's what I'm good at. So he's passing the blame on to his significant other here. The second verse is wrapped by Pusha T. He says, every bag, every blouse, every bracelet comes with a price tag, baby. Face it. This relationship that he describes becomes more and more built on material things and gifts rather than actual emotional connection and love. He says, I'm just young, rich, and tasteless, which is a killer line. It, it's a decent line. It's one of the better lines in the song, I think. I like verse three. It's the heart of the song, which is at the core of the album, and I think it's the most vulnerable that he gets. He says, Never was much of a romantic. I could never take the intimacy, and I know I did damage because the look in your eyes is killing me. I guess you knew of that advantage because you could blame me for everything. What a change in attitude. And he shows it by saying that she blames him for everything, which is the total opposite of verse one, where he's blaming her for everything. But in that way, I feel like he's still blaming her, right? He's saying, like, look, you're making me out to be the bad guy by blaming me for everything. You're taking advantage of my lack of intimacy and making me out to be the bad guy. Like, he's still playing the pity party. I don't know. I think he saves, I think he covers his bases when he says, you could blame me for everything. I think that's him saying, if you wanted to, like, I deserve the blame for everything. And you could blame me, but you don't. Okay. Well, give it to him on the word could. That's another attaboy. (laughs) Another attaboy. That's two. You're up to two, Kanye. Let's talk about track 10, Hell of a Life. This was the other song that was kind of up there for my favorite. I really like Hell of a Life. Am I wrong in assuming it's like basically sampling Iron Man? It is. All right. I'm not crazy with that. All right. It's not sampling. (laughs) It's an interpolation. The difference is sampling is where you take the direct audio, but interpolation is where you do the melody. The same song, but in your own way. Mm, Gotcha. This song starts so abrasively. Oh, yeah, it does. With that heavy, <laughs> distorted synthesizer coming in. You know, it's a lot. But I love the triplets he does right at the beginning because uh-huh. it goes. Like, it's a fun little rhythmic trick for your ears. It's just nice. The chorus is wild. The interpolation of Iron Man was wild. Yeah. Interesting fact. You know, he never pronounces the F in life audibly. So the double meaning at play is this is all a big lie. All this opulence, the relationship that he cultivates, it's, you know, one big facade. Huh. Maybe the other reason this song is up there is because it also talks about lights. There's a, a whole section in the second verse. He goes back into all of the lights and brings it back. Light and dark. It's a conflict. And I really like the line, never in your wildest dreams, you could hear the loudest screams coming from inside the screen. I love the way that this changes the meaning of Hell of a Life. It's misleading because the title Hell of a Life and the the whole premise, the beginning, it makes you think it's a really good thing. When in reality, we find out his life is more like a living hell. It's such a cool twist. Yeah, this definitely gets the honorable mention for favorite song. Yeah, I looked at this one with a fine-toothed comb before this podcast, and I definitely like it more after that. He falls in love, gets married in the bathroom, honeymoon on the dance floor, and got divorced by the end of the night. It's that classic love story. (laughs) 
we have this song all about a relationship that's kind of fleeting, coming and going in just the blink of an eye, and it leads right into Blame Game, a song that's all about a relationship falling apart slowly. I feel like Blame Game kind of gets back to what I was talking about on Runaway. Yeah, I wrote there in my notes too, it's the exact same situation we saw in Runaway, but way more fleshed out and detailed. And it's crazy to me that he's so hung up on making sure it's clear who's responsible for stuff when he's clearly so reluctant to take some responsibility for his own actions sometimes. John Legend sings the hook on this song, by the way, and he sings it really well. Yeah, he does. There's one point where he sings, you know, let's play the blame game, I hate you. And when he sings, I hate you, the music stops. And it's another moment like we had on Billy Joel, where there's just that negative space that zaps your attention right to the lyric. And you really kind of feel the bitterness of that hate in that moment. This is another one of those songs I think I zoned out on, but I think that moment pulled me back in. Exactly. That's what it's meant to do. Well, you're not meant to zone out before it, but it is meant to grab your attention. It's a seven minute and 50 second song. It's very long. Yeah, it is the second songest, second songest long. No, it's the second longest song on this record. So I understand. He says, you weren't perfect, but you made life worth it. Stick around. Some real feelings might surface. That's uh, an interesting line to try and force a relationship like that just to be around enough and maybe some spark will reignite. I think it's telling that his very next line starts to talk about infidelity. I think he's just proving for himself that that type of a relationship just doesn't hold any water. And then he does, at the end, a slam poetry interlude almost that's taken from a poem by Chloe Mitchell. Oh, it's actually taken? He didn't write that? No. He recites it with a lot of feeling. You should take a look at at least that section, if nothing else, because it's a pretty powerful poem. I'll have to do that. And then we get this two-minute skit by Chris Rock that, you know, we don't have to talk about in detail. Uh, we don't have to talk about it at all. I mean, it's, why is it there? <laughs> we don't. It's This is one of those songs that I was like, oh, it's ending, and then it didn't. <laughs> and it didn't, and it didn't, and it didn't. Is this Chris Rock bit funny? Is it memorable? It was annoying is what it was. Okay. I was ready for the song to end. It ended, I think, poetically with the little slam poetry section. I was happy with that ending, and then they didn't end it. <laughs> he took a wrecking ball to it. Yeah. Personally, it's a bit much. Sorry, Chris Rock. <laughs> We're getting down to the end of the album here. It's technically two tracks left, but they run together in one, so we might as well talk about them at the same time. Lost in the World and Who Will Survive in America. Now, this is another very prominent sample. Lost in the World prominently samples Bon Iver's song, Woods. Yeah, I think this song is my third favorite song on the album. Ooh, it's third or fourth, but I did like Dark Fantasy, even though I ripped on it a lot. You did. You did rip on it quite a bit. I said the whole song really does kind of feel lost. It's fast-paced and it feels confusing, like it belongs in some kind of a movie, you know what I mean? Like a frenzied montage. There's a bit that he describes as his favorite thing he's ever written. He sings, you're my devil, you're my angel, you're my heaven, hell, now, forever, freedom, jail, lies, truth, war, truths, questions. Mm -hmm. He goes through this list of things, you're my this and you're my that. And that's the his favorite thing he's ever written, which struck me because it's relatively simple. Sometimes that's the way it works. If it's the simplest thing, it's your favorite. Yeah. I like the what does Webster say about soul line in the Who Will Survive in America section. Kind of philosophical, but yet like grounded in like talking about actual dictionary definitions. Well, kind of. It, there are a lot of different Websters that it could be and maybe is referring to at the same time. It's a line that can play a lot of different ways depending on the context you want to put it in, which I like. Interesting. I didn't know that. He really um, says some interesting things about America. Yeah, well, Who Will Survive in America is actually entirely made of a Gil Scott Heron speech recorded in 1970 called Comment Number One. Really? So, yeah, the entire thing is the work of Gil Scott Heron. And Kanye puts it here with intent. But yeah, it's a it's actually a period piece. Oh. I think Who Will Survive in America uses a lot of really vivid details sometimes. You know, a land of blood and tears instead of milk and honey. It's just an interesting way to close the album. It certainly brings the opening monologue to a head to talk about gruesome fairy tales and you know not perceiving the real darker reality of something that you think is good it's an interesting way to close the album to that end and it ends with this grim repetition of who will survive in america and i think the implications of that question after a record like this are a little bit bleak 
I'm not going to tell you how to fill in the gap, but I don't think this is a feel-good record. No, it's not. I mean, the title should have told you that. There's really no happy songs on here, if you think about I mean, everything has a very... The happiest it is is when it starts off and he's talking about the things he wants, and then it immediately takes that dark turn in Dark Fantasy. He gives you that one glimmer of happiness at the beginning of the album and doesn't undercut it ever, which is something that I can commend him for because several of the other artists we've done, you know, have thrown in something that I felt under mind parts of the album that have like walked back their main points yeah he sticks to his guns the whole way consistently even in the parts where he's like i'm on top of the world i'm at the top of my game i'm the greatest he also says there's a real dark side to all this and my life isn't everything i make it out to be without ever losing the confidence and bravado <laughs> it's impressive no yeah he still keeps that bravery and bravado the whole way in a way that's very unique to kanye i think no other artist that i know of could pull off a record like this this well you want to get into the record score as a whole you want to tell me your scores so looking at this album for those of you who are new or unfamiliar I have four different categories that I personally check out. The music, the lyrics, the production, and the overall vibe of everything. And talking about my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasies music, I think there's a lot to like, and it leaves also a good bit to be desired, specifically from a music standpoint. I think sometimes he uses the music really well, like in Dark Fantasy to create that suspenseful, tense feeling, or in something like Monster to give it that Halloween-type vibe. All of the lights is phenomenal musically throughout, but then other songs, there's just not much to them musically, I don't think. For that reason, I gave music an 81. An 81? Yeah. Lyrically, this album does a lot of really clever wordplay. He's got two and three layers behind every word that he says. Everything's very intentionally crafted <sighs> to fit the rhythm and the rhyme. So it does a lot of things right in a lyrical sense. However, some of the lyrics that we didn't talk about on this episode for content's sake, because we are a family-friendly podcast for the most part, they've... He, some of them are really out there, and they don't quite measure up for me. So I gave lyrics an 87, higher than the music, but 87. Huh. Yeah, we definitely would differ on that one. I, I definitely would have put the music higher than the lyrics if that's how I ranked it. The, the real strong point for this album, I think virtually undeniably, is the production. And yeah. the way that he's sampled everything, picked bits and pieces out of songs that you've heard of and never heard of together, and just smushed them into one cohesive work. And every time it works really well. Every song that he's produced is good. The one song that he didn't produce is good. Every instrument that he puts there is very effective and does kind of exactly what he wants it to. So I gave production a 96 96. It's up there. Now, production is one of the lower-weighted categories, but it, that higher ranking there still does pull my overall number up a good bit, I think. And for the overall vibe, I think there's a decent consistency to this record, like we just talked about. He does a good job maintaining his bravado while still explaining how he's falling from greatness, and he's afraid of falling from greatness. It's a delicate balance, and I think he strikes it pretty well. So, overall vibe, I gave it a 93. What, did the, what does the math department say? say that that comes out to be the math department i ran it by them and uh they weren't uh thrilled with the score they gave me a funny look when i gave it to them because some of these numbers are so far apart the range from 81 to 96 they were like are you sure but the math department came through and they said your final score is an 87.7. So I give this one a very, it's a passing grade. 87.7. Actually, at the time that we're recording this, my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy ranks at exactly spot number 100 on my album ranking spreadsheet. Oh, that's cool. Again, if you haven't checked out that spreadsheet and you listen, it's linked everywhere. Go find it. It's a really cool spreadsheet. Thanks. I've put a lot of time into listening to those albums, mostly. Yeah. So, in total, 87.7 for me. Top 100 album. I really like it. In a unique way. In, in a in a way that holds a special place in my heart <laughs> of music ranking. This one's different, but it's not bad. I feel like if I had more than one listen, I could appreciate it more. Because there's, like you said, a lot of layers to every aspect of this album that I just couldn't pick up in one listen. That mixed with the fact that rap music already isn't really my genre of music right you're already not used to it yeah uh and my score isn't as uh, objective as yours and calculated mine's more just a gut feeling so my score is not quite as high as yours <laughs> yeah i this is the week where we differ isn't it uh, it's not as big a difference as it could be but it, it is significant uh this week i'm gonna rate this one five attaboys out of ten <laughs> Five attaboys. You know, that's more attaboys than we actually gave him. So I think that's an improvement. Yeah. Five out of yeah. ten 
I think is fair given your ranking system. Yeah. It's a 50%. All right. So we're looking at an 87.7 and a five. You know what? This is the first album where we, we did differ. We did have a break. I figured it would be when I proposed it. Yeah, we're usually within, like, usually when you're in the 80s, I'm at, like, a 7, 8, or 9. Like, we're usually within, like, a point of one another. This is a, about a three-point difference. I mean, if if you scaled mine back. It ranked higher than I initially expected it would. When you first told me we were doing this one, I was anticipating giving it, like, a 2. It made its way up to a 5. Well, in our efforts to cover all the genres and stuff, I thought this would be a good record to talk about because there's so much going on with the music and the production and enough lyrics that we could discuss that aren't off-the-wall crazy. So, so I thought it would be a good entry point, a good first base for rap music. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I feel like, again, I'd like to reiterate to all you Kanye and rap fans out there that stumbled across this and now hate my guts. I feel like it would have probably gotten a higher score if I had been able to listen to it as much as James had, because uh, there's just a lot of niche stuff I didn't pick up on. That's right. But, you know, I got to give my gut instinct the way it came out. So that's what it gets. Yeah. And to that end, too, there's also a lot that we couldn't talk about in this podcast, whether for content's sake or for just the amount of time we're trying to fit our podcast into. So this is by no means a complete analysis or review. But if you are a Kanye fan, thanks for checking us out. If you're not a Kanye fan. And if you're not, also thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this anyway. I'm so appreciative. We've officially launched at the point of recording now, and the support has been awesome. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome. And if you want to support us further, we've got social media. We'll be posting our our new mascots, I suppose, the mixtaper and Captain Spin. Yep, yep. You know, our new superhero, I guess. Love it. So those will be on our Twitter at SpinItPod and our Instagram at SpinItPod Official. We've got links to the special spreadsheet where I've got everything ranked and a playlist where I kind of import all my new music for this podcast and just for my own personal entertainment. But all of that's linked down in the description, in our bio, whatever you want. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. My co-host, Connor, was put in charge last week of setting up the memo and mail and writing departments kind of getting that moving no 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 no. you didn't tell me to set the writing department i thought you were doing that one what you thought i was doing it i thought you were doing the writing department hang on you put me in charge of memo and mail and i went above and beyond and also did art so i don't know what you want from me so what you're saying is nobody got in touch with the writing department huh no (laughs) well you know what that means we'll have to leave you once more with a keep spinning everybody have a great week keep (laughs) spinning Ba da ba dee ba dee doo, outro music.